0: Quick, name everybody that Ben Charrington sent out the door right before the lockout. Can't do it, can you? Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. We are now in day four. Four? Let me think. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This is day five of the lockout. Even better! I'm looking forward to month four and month five. I'll even take year four or year five if I know that at the other end there will be a salary cap system that will allow baseball everywhere to be fair and equitable again. But before... The doors were closed. The local team's general manager made a whole bunch of moves, most of them via subtraction. And as he did so, when I looked at them individually, I wasn't always able to come up with what felt like would have been a reasonable explanation for his actions. Not that he was going to be a whole lot of help on this. For example, this was uh, his answer as to why the, the Pirates parted with Colin Moran. The decision about Moran, um, you know, it's not not specifically about Yoshi. Um, but it at a moment in time um, this week, we just didn't feel like we could commit to um, you know, going through the R process and committing to the, to the roster right now with Colin. Um, I told him on the phone that, you know, believe that he's a, he's a good Major League Baseball player and, and better than he showed last year and um, would want to keep the door cracked and see what happens um, later in the offseason. I'm sure i will have other opportunities too. That was in a Zoom call that he did with us in the Pittsburgh media late last week. And it didn't really shed any light on anything other than that having a door cracked open is supposed to mean that Moran might be back. He won't be back. He won't be back. No GM talks like that about a player who's going to come back. Very similar to his explanation for Chad Cool in stating flat out that Cool wanted to start. Well, Look, Cool's like the nicest guy in the world, but Cool's not in a position to pick and choose. He was terrible in 2021. He was terrible as a starter. He was worse as a reliever. So thinking that you can say something to your management after that about what your preference is, there's the door. But from a broader standpoint, this is what I'm getting at here. What was it? that Charrington was trying to achieve in cutting all these different people, and there were more of them than these two, loose. Was it to uh, free up money? I mean, I know that's always the cynical take, but it doesn't really make any sense here. They're going to have to spend way more than what their current payroll figure is showing, regardless of what the CBA would look like by next year or whenever they do resolve this. Uh, Is the team made better? I would argue yes by losing guys like Cool and other ineffective pitchers, but I I wouldn't argue anywhere near as strongly when it comes to uh, Moran, who is probably a league average first baseman offensively and a little bit below that defensively and just an awful... Obviously, base runner. But not a bad ball player, not somebody that you would discard. And he also is capable of playing more positions than first base. since first was what he was taught uh, while he was here. Most of his time uh, in baseball had been at third base or in the outfield. So he could have been a bench guy for you. Why do you let him go? Why do you just let him walk? Because of arbitration money? You know, this is this is the part where this starts getting a little bit uh, difficult to decipher. But I think I might be on to something. And I will warn you in advance, it is significantly over the top. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience underscoring the word experience the steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800 degree stone and you do the rest it's a ton of fun it's a great meal and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in pittsburgh north shore tavern right across federal street from pnc park okay you ready i have a just a completely disposable theory here But if I didn't share with you all of my disposable theories, well, (laughs) you'd have fewer disposable theories in your life and you'd probably be better off, but whatever. You're the one who pushed play on a podcast about a baseball team during a baseball lockout, so you're just going to have to deal with this one. Here it is. Let's suppose, just for fun that there's a pretty good feeling inside the owner's realm that they're really going to stick together this time, and they're going to come away with some cap-type system. It won't be a pure salary cap, if only because they're trying so hard to avoid the terminology. But if it's a system where you have uh, a much lower ceiling and, for the first time ever, a floor, that's a cap system. And if that's in place, and it seems that almost everyone on any side of this agrees that a floor would be welcome, the Pirates are going to have to spend up. Now, you don't have to do that right away if I can cite precedent for you with the National Hockey League when they switched to a cap system in 2004. There were some crazy contracts in the NHL at the time, And there was no way for teams to meet their new obligations because of these contracts. And since these contracts have to be honored, meaning individual contracts, they don't go away based on a new collective bargaining agreement. You still have to pay the individual that you're supposed to pay. That's an individual personal services deal. Then grandfathering has to occur. So teams are allowed a year or two to either get down below the ceiling or up above the floor. You don't have to do it right away. And no, you don't have to sign Brian Reynolds to a one-year, $75 million deal in order to pull this off. Although I've read stuff like that on the internets at various points, and it's awesome. You don't have to do that. You didn't in the NHL. And there's no way you'd have to in this situation. But staying with the disposable theory. If the Pirates know that they have to do significant spending to move upward, they would want to clear off their roster their mediocre guys who would be taking up roster spots on the 25 and on the 40. Because if you're going to be forced to spend to fill your roster and you know that you need X amount of roster spots left open for the various prospects and other youngsters that you have coming up the pipeline and you don't want to block anybody, you would be looking to take those Colin Moran and Chad Cool dollars and put them into players who are, gasp, more expensive. See, I told you it was disposable, but you listened to it anyway. I'll conclude with this before you totally flush this idea down. In the month of November, before the lockout, teams across Major League Baseball spent $1.7 billion, with a B, dollars on free agents the pirates themselves spent 7 million million with an m which is way high for them by paying 5 million for roberto perez as the catcher to replace jacob stallings and 2 million for jose cantana to compete for a spot in the rotation both of those guys are coming on one year deals The Yankees, who need to get below the potentially lower threshold, spent only $2 million. The poor Yankees only spent $2 million. What did they know? Why did that happen? Why did other teams suddenly surprise and start spending seemingly out of nowhere? Teams that you weren't used to seeing spend... The Marlins, the Marlins were spending like crazy through November. Why? Why did that happen? I don't know. Maybe it's just a disposable theory. Maybe it's something more. And when we come back, just one question. Just one question in today's J1Q comes from Paul, who asked, Could Ben Charrington's trade of Jacob Stallings be explained by operating within the confines of Bob Nutting's If you come, then I will build it philosophy? This is a team that has no pitching and won't spend money until they start to win and put revenue-generating butts in the seats. So Charrington needs wins now without spending money and without sacrificing baseball capital. The defensive catcher is the only piece that could get even a league average starter, and that league average starter is worth more than a defensive catcher. Does this make sense to you? Paul, in a word, no, not really. (laughs) The second part really didn't, but I want to address the first part anyway as respectfully as I can after opening my answer like that. This thing about nutting, if you build it or if you come, then I will build it, The whole, if you come to my restaurant and eat my crappy food, I can then take your money and eventually make it good food. So come on back after you have my crappy food. That thing doesn't exist. The reason that it doesn't exist, although it sounds great. This is one of those beautiful radio talk show narratives about the pirates that's out there. Hear this one all the time. And... To an extent, it's deserved, because Frank Coonley blurted out something exactly this stupid a few years ago, speaking as he often did without having any clue or context as to what was about to come out of his mouth. In this case, for the Pirates to adopt an approach that says, when we get more fans, we will raise payroll doesn't work because one of the dirty little secrets of professional sports is that attendance really doesn't matter that much. Teams don't talk about that because they certainly don't want to make it sound unimportant that people come to their games. But most of the money that's distributed across baseball is either national or local TV money or... It's now revenue that comes in from the Internet, which is massive, massive. And all of that, luckily for the Pirates, is evenly shared. The only thing that isn't evenly shared is local TV money, as I've discussed an awful lot the past few days. So to suggest that your fortunes of your baseball operations would be influenced by whether or not you average... Let's go rock bottom here, like this past year. Let's say that you average, like, I don't know, 12,000 fans a game. Okay, that's that's pretty lousy. And that's probably about as bad as it'll ever get. 12,000 fans per game. Most of those are still sitting in the lower bowl, so they're still paying the higher prices. Right? Okay. Let's say you add another 10000 to that mix, and now you're averaging $22,000. they are in the upper decks of the cheapest ticket in all of Major League Baseball. That's PNC Park, still the cheapest ticket. And you're adding that money, and I'm not going to sit here and do the math for you But it's not a significant figure, and it's not something that would influence your payroll or whether or not you're going to compete. The same thing goes for concessions, which are controlled by Aramark, not by the Pirates. And it goes a zillion times over for parking. The Pirates control absolutely zero parking. You pay to park, the Pirates don't get that. You pay to eat, the Pirates only get part of that. You pay for the ticket, the Pirates get all of it, but it's the cheapest ticket in sports. So it's not that big of a difference. I I hope that helps clear that up. Uh, I don't expect anyone to get it right (laughs) outside of our little world, though. I appreciate the question, Paul. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. Let's do another one tomorrow.